Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stedman Podcast. I hope you are having a great end of the week. I know we are in that time where spring break is about to hit. So if you are a student listening to this podcast, you're probably like, yay, let's go on spring break. Let's have fun, which usually fun means going to a beach, going overseas, or just staying at home and playing video games or watching TV all day and just uh, just having hanging out with your friends. If you're an, a parent, you're thinking, oh, great, I now have my kids home for a week. What the heck am I going to do with them? But um, luckily for me, I'm going to be traveling in a couple weeks for my uh, spring break since my kids will be out and we're going to do some fun family stuff. So that will be exciting for me. But uh, joining me today is Micah Current, who is not on spring break. Micah, how are you doing today? I'm good. However, I do get a spring break uh, next week. Uh, it's um, I I have to work. I don't get like a spring. I get a spring break from my classes, but I still have to to get to work. But it's a break for us because the students will be gone and the campus will be a lot less crazy, which is you know a much needed break from you know faculty, staff, and students, which is nice. Um, it's like that over the summer too, which and winter break where, you know, it's like a ghost town, but you can get you can get to things on campus without having a line that's like out the door because there's so many students. So I get a spring break. However, I'm not traveling. Um, I um, have uh, one of my classes this semester. I have a couple of projects that are going to be due at the end of the semester. So I'm going to take my spring break to work ahead and get those projects done so that I don't have to do them at the end of the term which is probably what you should do, but you're going to go to Disney World or something. No, I'm not going to Disney World. I'm going to uh, New Orleans and hitting a Disney cruise. Close enough. It had Disney in the word. Disney was in the title. (laughs) And speaking of of titles. I I got confused. Have you ever put the word fun and fundraiser? Because we will be talking about the topic of fundraising today. Uh, But before we dive into that topic, uh, stories gone wild. So, Micah, I want to tell you the craziest thing I heard yesterday. So, to set the story up, we have... Like like most students, they like to procrastinate a lot, and I'm now getting an overflow of emails and parent phone calls saying, hey, my student needs community service hours for National Honor Society. We need help, blah, blah, blah. Okay. We need credit. We need hours. What can you, what can you do for us? It's like, okay, well, I have a lot of stuff. You know, big, big older churches means they house a lot of garbage, which means... A lot of stuff is navigate, sort through. So we're going through the youth lounge and we have a bunch of like drawers. Uh, so we're kind of, I have a couple of uh, students cleaning stuff up, rearranging stuff and they're done. And we ended up pulling up like a bunch of tubs full of like these costumes. Um, years ago, the church that I work at used to do these big gigantic youth musicals in the spring. And they just would, you know, just be a big thing. Um, so we found like a bunch of these like, felt skirts that have like images on them that they're supposed to look like poodle skirts okay so we're having youth and a couple of the girls see these things they're like what are they i'm like oh they're poodle skirts and here let me show you so i go and i put one on and show them like how do you assemble it and everything like oh so you know they're putting these on and literally i had a girl go yeah poodle skirts were very popular in the 90s 
And I go, and I said, you mean the 50s? And she goes, oh, well, yeah, it might be a little bit older, like the 80s. And literally her friend had to Google it, poodle skirts. And a thing popped up, said these were popular in the 50s. The 50s. And this girl's like, well, Google's wrong sometimes. Mm. Google's wrong sometimes. (laughs) Google's wrong when people want it to be wrong. Yeah, Google's wrong when they want it to be wrong. It's like, so I'm just sitting here like beside myself, like poodle skirts were popular in the 90s. Like, (laughs) so I'm just sitting there thinking, and then not only that, but we were playing a game, which it's called You Laugh, You Lose. And there's these different things that you have to try to get everyone to laugh. And one of them was dance like a hillbilly. And none of my students knew what a hillbilly was. Which I'll give that to them because that's not a term that's usually just randomly thrown around all the time. Yeah, hillbilly. <laughs> well, and to be fair, you guys live Columbus, which is you know the center of the state, big city versus, you know rural you know, northwest northeast southwest southeast ohio yeah oh yeah if, if i was in southeast ohio and i pulled that i said hillbilly they'd be like that's offensive that's what i am <laughs> or you go to yeah. uh or you go to like west virginia or virginia where you are living in the hills they're like yep goodness so that was my Ma- story <laughs> mountain, <laughs> mountain mountain people the mountain men yeah which is funny because living in the mountains, you, it's weird because sometimes people think like, oh, mountains, big, gray, stony, white capped. It's like, nope, that's no. out on the west. If you hit the, if you have the Appalachians, it's all like trees growing on these mountains. It's all green and lush. So it's weird that the different mountain systems we have in uh, in the United States are completely different from east and west. It's like their own little like east coast, west coast battle. That's a 90s reference. So anyway, what's your weird story? Well, well, before I get to that, I think it's it's interesting how trends clothing-wise, fashion-wise will, you know, like circulate. And so like in the last, you know, two, three years, kids are really dressing like it's the 90s again. Mm-hmm. right like they'll have hairstyles like the 90s and i and my you know i have student workers at miami and they they would come in and i'm like oh my gosh you look like something not to say by the bell and they're like what's say by the bell and i'm like oh i feel so old but you know it's true the way that they're you know the mom jeans those became a thing again the um i'm starting to see baggy holy jeans again you know like that was high school for me like everybody wore baggy jeans and everybody you know used to run the bottom out of their, you know, the, the base of their jeans. And, but now you can buy them that way, Scott. Like I can buy a pair of jeans for $40 with 20 holes in it. And it's like, mm, why would I do that? Why would I buy <laughs> jeans that had, um, you know, holes put them in all, already in there for me. So like that. And then um, have you seen the fanny packs make a comeback? Yes. They're not wearing them in the right place, but they're, they're, they're a thing. Yeah. And cause they, they wear them across their chest. They don't wear them. On their waist, like you know, like you were. Yeah, it's like a satchel. Yes, a satchel. So, <laughs> Real natural. So anyway, 20. yes. So I'm just amazed. And then people were like, "Oh, this is a new thing." I'm like, "No, it was a thing 20 years ago." Uh, 
but I guess my story, I have, you know, it's kind of a, a story with a question for you. Okay. And I haven't even told you, about, I haven't even told you about this yet, but it's kind okay. of interesting. So yesterday, you know, I'm scrolling through social media and I'm scrolling through, um, which I think you might've seen this on social. So you may know the story, but just for, for privacy and namesake and church stakes, we're just not going to mention names of churches. Um, so scrolling through social, scrolling through, you know, different churches, live streams yesterday. And, you know, I came across, um, somebody saying they were going to resign from their church, but they're taking a different position at another church, but they went from being a lead pastor and they're going to be a family life pastor, similar to your situation, similar you know, to your journey. Um, and the person, and I guess this isn't really a story going while it was more of a, an observation slash question and, you know, inquiry mm-hmm. for you. Uh, but you know, the person made the statement when they were telling their church that they were leaving that they spent the last five years or so as a, as a lead pastor. And they feel like they, they can serve better in the number two role being an associate, you know, serving the lead pastor. When you left, you felt, well, two things. One, you left, there was a kind of a break in your ministry before coming back into full-time ministry. Yeah. Um, like a, like a year or so. Mm-hmm. Your story is a little bit different. You took a job, you felt called to your job, but your job was, basically what you could find versus you know what i mean like you you're a family you know director of family ministries which you be a lead pastor again or do you feel like hey i am suited for this you know secondary number two position associate role however you want to frame it versus being that lead pastor or do you think that your days as lead pastor are over because yeah, that same person was like, I'm tired. I I just don't think like, and it's not like it's the great resignation conversation, but it's like, yeah. it's almost like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take this other role so that I can kind of coast and feel like I'm more comfortable versus being, does that make sense? Yeah. I, I, so here's the thing. I don't necessarily. So for me in my situation, like I was applying for lead pastor. I was basically <laughs> applying for a lead pastor role, youth leader role, children's pastor role, really what was in my skill set. So right. and I think that goes to a and I think you know my my view of calling is not that the sky's going to open up and a dove's going to fly down and I'm going to hear this big booming voice from the cloud saying Scott you are now called in this season of your life you are going to be a lead pastor or a family minister like no like for me it's like well if I if God has called me to ministry I'm going to be that's the call. The call is ministry, period. Right. Where God wants me to be in ministry is up to God's discretion of where I serve. And if, you know, if this season it's best yeah. for me to take a number two role or a number three role and be a family minister and not be the lead, I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh if the Lord wanted me to be the lead, I would be fine with that too. But I think a lot of it goes to the sense of, okay, being obedient and kind of going through the waves. Because if I was a very big staunch, um, I need to be a church of God lead pastor and I can't find a church of God job because their church of God job site is down. And you can't get anything, and you start sending your letter to other um, state 
directors to help you find church jobs and you get ghosted, then that's kind of a, okay, well, is that a God thing or is that just more of a neglect thing that is not part of my part, but on those who are supposed to help me find positions within states or within the church of God? Yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm not, I don't want it to sound at all like it's a like a downgrade or anything because a calling is a calling is a calling. And like you nailed yeah. it on the head saying, you know, it's ministry, period. It's not lead pastor, children's pastor, worship pastor, youth pastor, assimilation pastor, whatever, executive pastor. It's it's a calling and it's it's ministry is ministry is ministry. And so um, I guess it, we we haven't really went into the great deal. Like we've we've hinted and kind of talked around the whole topic of, of the great resignation and how pastors are just tired and they wanted to, you know, do you think, I, and I don't know this guy's story. I don't know, you know, I, I know your story, but like, you know, going through the whole COVID thing is really persuaded a lot of pastors to go either out of ministry or, you know, like to, to take that number two slot to be an associate and not really want to be the lead anymore because they, the pressure of making those decisions, and I would I would argue that those pre- the pressure of those decisions were um, greater than pretty much the history of ministry, probably uh, during yeah. the COVID season. As mm-hmm. far as like, do we have church? Do we not have church? Do we shut this place down? Do we continue to take offerings? Do we continue to have services online? Like all those pivotal decisions to keep the church going during a, a time where there was so yeah. much uncertainty. Um, mm-hmm. It's you know I wonder if that you know, is weighing on a lot, not even just this person that I was talking about or referencing, but like pastors in general um, Mm -hmm. as to why they're taking other roles or they're not doing, you know, the lead thing anymore. Yeah. Um, And I would say, and I would even just say, maybe it's not necessarily, they don't want to be the lead anymore because of the pressure and all the responsibility stuff. I think in some cases, maybe those lead pastors who take a number two position means that they could be more effective because now they don't have to go to every single meeting that there is. And a lot of that extra time, they can do that to actually, you know, build build up their Spend marriages, their build up their families, or go and do the one thing that churches have failed to do during the pandemic was to really make meaningful impact with families in their community, especially in their greatest time of need. And when they're struggling and it seems like, you know, they want the church to kind of, you know, encourage them, enlighten them, you know, help them out, you know, kind of be these shepherds. And then it's like, well, they don't even make phone calls within the first three months of the shutdown to even check on people to see if mm-hmm. they're okay. Then that kind of becomes a a sticking point. Right. And it's, yeah, we, we had that, we had that conversation early on in the COVID era when, you know, I had a friend, I had a friend at a church in Missouri and, you know, he got with his staff and he was like, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to print a spreadsheet out of everybody that has attended this church in the last year to three years. And you're going to take a you know quarter of it. I'm going to take a quarter of it. You're going to take a quarter of it. I'm going to take a quarter of it. And we're all going to call these people and we're going to see how they're doing and just want to check in with them and see uh, if there's anything we can do for them during this difficult time. And he said, as a result of that, um, giving was consistent, if not better. Um, online attendance was, 
you know, consistent, if not better as a result of, you know, staying connected with those people. And so, um, one of the biggest things that I learned about, you know, kind of stepping down and stepping away from ministry was the, 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 the burnout that really existed in my life and in my soul. Um, my marriage wasn't in trouble by any means, but one of the things I appreciate so much more now is how much time I get to spend with my spouse and not have to worry about the stress of the, of the, the, the everyday um, calling that goes along with that ministry assignment, because it's, it's, it's brutal, you know, and you have to be super intentional about like, you know what, you have to pick and choose your battles. Right. But you need to be able to say, Hey, no, I'm going to go, take my wife out on a date or I'm going to go spend some time with my kids or I'm going to, you know, be intentional about being home in time for dinner every night. You know, my dad wasn't always great at that growing up. And, um, he was always busy with ministry, busy with church, busy with meetings, busy with state level stuff. And it was like, you know, you're rolling in at eight 30, nine o'clock at night. And you know, your family is not having dinner together. And so yeah. I never want to do that to my spouse. I never want to do that, you know, to my, to my children, to, to, to people that, you know, I care about, like, and I, and I probably, and Scott, I would probably venture to, you know, feel, and, you know, I've known you for a while, but I, I feel like you would, you know, feel the same way about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I know we went, went, we went down quite the rabbit trail with that, but you know, we're going <laughs> hey, to no, It's okay. Something. It's all right. No, I think, I mean, it's it was important. something that I thought about last night. Like there's this, there's this whole topic of like the great resignation, but then like, you know, are people just taking other positions within the church or, or even stepping back, getting a secular job and volunteering because they want to spend more time with their family and not, you know, have to deal with the wave, the weight of the decisions that go along with, um, you know, pastoral ministry, especially in the lead pastor role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, and again, we don't have to talk about our topic today. This could be our topic right now. But... No, nope, we're talking. We we are talking about this topic today because you're gonna, my friend, you're gonna talk about it because we've been stalling on it for like six months. I know, I know, but no, I think that's I think that's something more to kind of process and chew on because there might be a lot there to unpack in a future episode with this. Yeah. You know, and especially I think it's not only for those in ministry, but even those who are volunteers or just regular church folks or even elders and deacons and bishops like they have to realize that hey there's another you know sometimes your pastor wars um they have lives too outside the church just like you do and sometimes you know having a three-hour meeting is not always the best policy Right. But all right. So today we're going to talk about the topic of fundraising. Now, this may now, I guess, kind of depending on if you see the title of this episode, you're thinking, oh, great. You're going to talk about different fun ways of trying to get funds to help fund certain things. Um, Not really. This is not that. This is not that episode. Maybe. Maybe we'll get. But. I want to talk about fundraising as a way of seeing how it has evolved and changed, and especially not necessarily the, the tactics or the methods, but the heart of the issue of fundraising. So, Micah, when you 
growing up in the church, anytime when there was a fundraiser, what was always your experience with kind of the theology of fundraising or maybe the the philosophy of fundraising and kind of why we do fundraising and what it's usually for? Well, first of all, I thought you were going to say, let's do an infomercial for this guy's demo podcast. We need your help. No. Oh, I'm, yeah, right. Like, no. I mean, <laughs> yeah. hey, there's, no, I do have, I mean, I do have a co a Ko-Fi account where if you want to donate to the Scott, but it's not like I'm pushing it too much. Like I, have, right. I mean, we were like, we do have one person who has been giving faithfully to the Scott Simmons podcast. So it's been nice. Um, actually, yeah. technically two, if we want to get really real, but one, as far as monthly has been doing a great job and has kind of helped with, you know, paying for the zoom, these zoom fees and stuff for these podcasts. <laughs> but so thank you, Patty. Shout out to Patty for supporting the Scott seven podcast. Um, as far as fundraising is concerned, uh, you know, you can look at it a couple of different lights. Um, growing up in a church, growing up in a pastor's home and growing up in, you know, the local community where my, uh, my dad was a pastor. It was, you know, are we just sticking to fundraising or are we sticking to budget and fundraising? Let's just, let's just kind stick of with fundraising. Let's not even worry about budgets. <laughs> well, I, I'm just saying the reason yeah. what I wanted to say, I guess, is that yeah. like, so growing up, the way that I understood it was that the church had a budget they tried to stick to the budget. They tried to stick their bet. You know, they, they paid the bills. They did the building fund. They did all the things that, you know, utilities, uh, mortgage payment, anything that had to be associated with the church, the physical location itself went through the budget. My understanding that was that anything extra beyond those bills needed to be fundraised for. And so hmm. you, the youth, Youth group had to take a trip to state youth convention. You had to fundraise the money. Youth group had to take a trip to uh, international youth convention. Had to raise the money. So they would have like a, a bake off or a dinner after church, or uh, they would sell candy bars. They would uh, sell popcorn. They would do things similar, very very similar to like you know with Girl Scouts with cookies or, or Boy Scouts with popcorn or whatever it is. Um, by the way, Girl Scouts are like everywhere these days. Like hounding people to buy cookies they are everywhere they're like in parking lots they're in stores they're in <laughs> they're at the university i work at they're everywhere so um and i'm like i already bought some leave me alone uh <laughs> but the um but the idea of fundraising was anything ab above an extra to what your church budget would do so i don't know if that's hmm. kind of what you're talking about but like well also makes, i was gonna yeah no i was gonna say too like if there was something broke at the church and they couldn't afford it. You're going to have to raise the money to fix it. Uh, if the church, if the worship team wanted to do any monitors and have an in-ear monitor system, that was five to $10,000 above their budget. They would have to raise the money somehow to make that happen. Um, and in the churches that I've worked in, uh, I've been told, Hey, if you want the money, we don't have it. Go sell. You talked about service hours for your, your, your student ministry, Scott, but like go clean a closet out and, you know, sell that, you know, 20 year old PA system and get 500 bucks out of it. Well, that's if you're, if your budget, you know, your fundraising goal is $2,000, there's a fourth of it right there. So I remember one year, I think it was like 2017 or 2018. I raised like $5,000 of just selling junk in the old closet. And I just sold it on Facebook marketplace. I sold it on different church worship groups that I was a part of. Um, 
eBay. Uh, what's the other one? Not eBay. Um, PayPal, maybe. I can you sell stuff on PayPal? No, PayPal's just the money laundering. Just the, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. It's money. Did you say <laughs> maybe money that's laundering? The, maybe that sounds like maybe shady for PayPal. I do apologize, PayPal. Did you just say money, money laundering? Money laundering operation. <laughs> yeah, Facebook Marketplace. There's eBay. Yes. There's so, um. There's a, a mercy. There's a lot of different reverb.com there's like some music stuff like so anyway like i would sell and do things like that but you know again that that's the the way that i looked at fundraising but i'm the way that you're looking at me like i think you want to take fundraising a different direction well no i think it makes sense because you know if you think about if you have a church that has a budget let's let's kind of go based on your thing um you're you kind of what you were taught or how you what was modeled to you like you have a budget. Churches have budget. So the things that they can pay for, they have to factor in. Like things that are are set, like gas, electric, water, salaries, those sorts of things. And then maybe, maybe you might have some extra things like, oh, office supplies, mowing fees, all that stuff. But then anytime when you have something that's extra within reason. So for an example, mm-hmm. um, I mean, here's the thing. Like, let's say you have a nice office copier and your copier breaks and really you find out you have someone come investigate it and it's going to be a repair and just with um, labor and tax and the parts to fix the copying machine that's going to be 250 dollars. a lot of times churches are going to be like yeah we'll pay that we'll pay the 250 dollars like because you can't really budget in unexpected things that's going to happen but I mean, if your furnace goes out and it's the dead of winter, it's not going to be like, okay, let's do a fundraiser because we don't have the money to buy a new furnace. You're buying a new furnace because you have to heat up your building for people to come and worship, you know, that sort of thing. Um, you may later do a fundraiser to kind of pay the debt off that. But for the most part, you're pretty, pretty good. See, And I think that's kind of like my big thing. Like when it came to fundraising for me, fundraising was more of a thing that had to do with any type of trips, right? So if um, a youth going to a convention, they had to fundraise for that. If youth wanted to go, you know, if we were going to go and play, um, if we were going to go and play miniature golf, um, we didn't have to fundraise for miniature golf, but I mean, kids would have to pay for it. That wasn't something that the church was going to pay. They weren't going to pay for kids to go play miniature golf. You were going to pay to be part of this big gathering to do miniature golf. Um, even like, for example, capital campaigns that churches do, Hey, we're going to do this big capital campaign, which means we're going to redo the carpet in the sanctuary. We're going to do this. or we're going to raise funds. And it's not necessarily, We're going to go bake cookies and sell them so we can replace our carpet. It mainly was, here's this extra fund. And then kind of with your tithe, if you're tithing your a tenth, this is more extra money to throw into something for this to to make it happen. And usually there's like an incentive, like maybe you'll get like a gold plate stapled into the, a gold nail stapled into the carpet that has your name on it, which (laughs) we'll get into that later. But, um, but for fundraising, it was always- I'll tell you three. I do. 
And yet, I'm sure you could walk into any church building and there's probably a classroom or a fellowship center that is named after somebody because they gave the most money for that particular capital campaign. Um, I mean, they used to pay, I remember looking at an old thing and they had pew tax where you sat in the pew, you pay tax. So that's why people are so, like literally you pay tax to kind of help keep the pews refurbished, I guess. But back then it was just wood. So I don't know what to do, like sand them and stain them so the splinters didn't get in your butt. Like, I don't know. But anyway. Um, <laughs> probably so. Probably so. So, or just it's a tax is basically saying, hey, you can't sit in my pew because I pay for this. Like, <laughs> But the problem I have with fundraising is any time when there was a fundraiser, you knew where it was going, right? If the youth was doing a, if the youth was going on a big missions trip, we're buying holiday cookies. We are having this spaghetti dinner. We're having this fundraiser because we are going to send our youth group to this national convention where they're going to do a missions trip and they're going to, um, you know, have this experience with God and worship God with 5,000 other students from around the world. Okay. That's something exciting. And usually a lot of times people can buy into that and they say, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. The thing where I have a problem with fundraising is if you're doing a fundraiser and you're not explicitly telling people where that fund's going to go, that's my first issue. My second issue is if you're doing a fundraiser and the fundraiser is mainly for to raise funds for your operation budget. The thing that you have budgeted for, you're now doing a fundraiser to make sure that you are making budget. And I have an issue with both of those things when it comes to fundraising. Hmm. Um don't know if I have much to say to that. Well, <laughs> well, so I mean, so I let's just go with the, well, so well, so let's go with the first thing. Like when we, like if I was like at a previous church I used to work at, there we do a kind of an indoor yard sale, and every time when we would do any promotion or we would put stuff out, we always put in our flyers in our material. Even when people came here, this is to support youth youth ministry at the church. For them to go on youth functions, missions trips, conventions, youth functions, etc. It was clearly defined that this is what it is. Uh, this this church would also probably within the last few years, this church would then do a, a fall festival, which was a bake sale, a silent auction, a craft show, and then even like it was kind of like a yard sale too it was like a a collection of everything and they'd have this event but they would never say exactly in any print material or anybody to the people who were coming in who were participating in it that was in the community where's the money to this going to Mm -hmm. and the money that this was going to was mainly going to their main operation budget which, in contrast, the church that I was attending when I was still in Virginia, um, they were doing a fall festival, but they said, hey, 
you could bring, here's this fun thing. We're going to have inflatables. We're going to have food. We're going to have all this stuff. But here's the thing we want you to do. If you want to bring money, you can. Or we here's a list of items for tools. Because what we're going to do is we're going to build a house in our community for somebody to live. And if you can't build, here's some tools to help people that build this house. And they're a partner with Habitat for Humanity. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I know exactly what this fundraiser is for. It's to help people in the community. Even if they said this is a fall festival and we're going to do this because our kids are going to go on a missions trip to Kenya. Great. I know what this is for. Hey, our church is having a, a, a fall festival. And here's all the cool stuff we're going to do. Awesome. But hmm. where's the money going to? Yeah. And that was the thing. Like, like once the and once that fall festival was over with, you know, that the that following Sunday or two Sundays, you get to hear kind of what happened. Yeah, so, youth group youth group raised twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah. So imagine you're surprised when you're sitting in church and you say, Hey, our our fundraiser raised ten thousand dollars for our operation expense. And people start clapping and cheering. Yeah, Yay, we get to youth. pay our electric bill. And, and yeah, so, it's supposed so to be for the here's, youth. Or yay, we get to... Uh, yay, we get to... Uh, yay, we get to... Uh, <coughs> we get to... Uh, you know... Renovate the bathroom. Reno- like, Well, even if you're going to do a renovate a bathroom, at least say what it's for. At least to right. the public. But or at least say, or even saying, hey, we're doing a big remodeling project for the church. And I mean, because here's the thing: if I bet you anything, if you went out and you said, hey, we're going to do this fundraiser to bring community people into the church, and the funds is so we can remodel our bathrooms, I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of people who go who are going to come anyway because they like a good bargain, so they want to go and get stuff i'm sure there's some people who are going to be like no i think i'm going to go to the uh other one where we're going to help for a house to be built for a for a family who lost their house in a fire we're going to go to that Mm -hmm. fall festival not the one for this church who needs to renovate their bath room like i mean am i crazy but here's the thing i feel like from the time i was in youth group to the time i'm an adult now i just almost feel like Everybody does a fundraiser and they're not being transparent with what the funds is going through unless it is a youth fundraiser or a women's ministry fundraiser or it is something like they're very expressive with what it's for. And I I have a big issue with transparency in general. Like I think that transparency is key, but the fact that you are asking people to participate in a fundraising event and you're not explicitly telling people at the fundraiser, these are where the money that you are giving to us, this is where it is going to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be honest with you, Scott, like money and churches make me really nervous anyway. And mm-hmm. so, so for for a variety of reasons, just because 
I, I think I've told the story on this this show before, but the there was a pastor at a church I worked at that embezzled like forty grand of the church's money. But like, yeah. uh, so like I I get super nervous about money in churches anyway because it's not mine to be you know messing around with. So uh, you t- you talk about the whole conversation about being good stewards of God's money, and mm-hmm. to your point about not knowing where certain funds are going, when, how, and where. Uh, it's it's kind of suspect to be honest with you. And so um, I kind of see what you're saying, because like, if you think about it and, you know, in the lens of, okay, the church has a general operations budget or a general fund. um, And let's just say, I don't know, your checking account of the church has $125,000 and your youth group does a fundraiser and you raise $5,000. And so now you're, you're just dumping that money into the general fund and it kind of gets sucked into the vortex of like, okay, are you really going to give the, you know, the youth group that five grand that they earned, or are you going to put it in a separate fund? Or are they going to, do they have their own account? Um, mm-hmm. I know churches do it a variety of different ways, right? One, one model is like, Oh, we just have one big pot and we just draw from that pot. So like you have the checkings and we have a savings and we just do just the big pot. And so when there's a need or the bills need paid, we just take from that pot. And another circumstance, I, I've seen it where um, student ministry has their fund, uh, worship ministry has their fund, uh, children's ministry has their fund, the general, you know, uh, general operating budget has their fund, and then, um, you know, if there's building, you know, maintenance or a building fund or whatever you want to call it, um, they have their fund. And so, like when things arise, like youth are taking a trip or they do a fundraiser as you're talking about. And we use this illustration for the show. Um, they raise that $5,000, that $5,000 gets deposited to that account, right? Not the general funds, not the youth. I'm sorry, not the children's, not the worship, but, but the youth fund. And so um, I think that's a better way um, to keep track of your funds personally, you know, whereas if you're just throwing it all in one, one pot and, you know, everybody just be able to grab that money whenever they need it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, you know, it's kind of suspect, like you're saying. So, um, yeah, wh- where is that money truly going? And that and that that goes back to the whole conversation about budget, even though you didn't really want to go down that direction mm-hmm. or that avenue. But like, it, it's true. Like, if you don't have, um, you know, a good person in your church that handles finances or handles the books, then it's, it's no wonder that that stuff, and it could be just an old school way of doing things. We have a checking account. We have a savings account. When the youth needs that money, we'll get it out. But what if, what if something happens between the time that you raise the money, the youth takes their trip and, you know, you need to, you know, you know let's just say they raised five grand and we keep using five grand in this illustration. The church, uh, I don't know, the water heater breaks and the water heater is going to be $4,500 and you only have uh, $5,700 in your account, right? And you spent, you know, all you have on the new water heater for the church because you need it. But then by the way, the youth trips next month, you only have like a couple hundred dollars left. Like then what, what are you going to do for the, what are you gonna do for the kids that raised all that money? Yeah. So and, and, and that's, and, and I think, and I think it, even that illustration, it goes back to if you you bring up two you bring up two major questions. First of all, the it, the skill of the person who's handling your budget and how they approach it, because sometimes 
there's not like a clear-cut written rule on how the church budget needs to be done. And even if you even if someone is a CPA or is in finance, they have their own way and their own system of doing it. And it could change depending on who's actually keeping the books of the church, especially if it's a volunteer of the church or even if you're outsourcing it to an accounting firm. The second thing is um, the idea of integrity, because if this youth raise, if everything's coming out of one account and the youth raised $5,000 and they now have their entire trip paid in full, the water heater breaks. What's more important to the church? Sending our kids to a conference to grow in their faith with the Lord and maybe feel a call to ministry and or kind of get this leadership training to kind of grow in their faith and build a bonding experience within the youth group or the water heater. And when you have those two dilemmas, 95% of the time, it's going to go to, well, we need the water heater. So sorry, teens, you're not going to convention this year because we had money. Now we don't. Mm -hmm. And basically they just took their money that they raised to kind of help pay for the water heater. So bathroom toilets can flush and sinks can turn on. Hmm. And that I feel, and that I feel is very, or we send the youth and then we take $5,000 out of the pastor's salary. And now the pastor's getting paid $5,000 less because we have to pay for the water heater. Because whether you realize it or not, um, or you're kissing the butt of the the wealthiest person within the church to say, hey, can you please pay for this water heater? It broke and we want to send our kids to youth. And depending on their mercy, you know, they may say, yeah, and they give the $5,000. And then, you know, you have a, and then an anonymous donor paid for it, which is great. And I think that is also good, um, you know. And, you know, but very rarely do you have churches like that where you have someone who is an anonymous donor that will say, yeah, I will pay the entire cost of the the repair or or the the installation, the service fees and even the water heater and pay for all of that. Like very rare. You will you find that in a very small congregation. Um, I remember that generous to do something like that. I remember speaking of the pastor's salary, I remember growing up, uh, there were times <laughs> where um, the budget was tight at the church that my dad would work at. And we, um, you know, we talked, I think, in an episode a couple of weeks ago about, you know, Wednesday night prayer meeting. And, and so, like, I remember, like, a time when Sunday night church was still prevalent. And so, like, the the person that would do their, their finances or count the money or do the books, like, would do that Sunday night after service. And so, like, because they worked, at, you know, an eight to five job during the week. So that was the only time they really could do it. So they, I remember walking in and they were like, I, I don't know, if, you know, Pastor Chris, I don't know if we're going to be able to, you know, pay you your full check today because they were cutting it that close um, because giving was down or they had to, there was something that came up. And like you said, Scott, the, the pastor may or may not get their check. And if they do get their check, it may not be the full check or the full amount. So, um, you know, I think that's, it's a whole nother conversation as far as, you know, how can we, how can we budget better as a church? 
Well, yeah, as, I a, think, as hey, a non as a nonprofit. Yeah, and I think and I think that's the other thing. And this is I don't want to get too far into budgeting because that's going to be a whole. I feel like even like we're still talking about kind of funds with fundraising and stuff, and then that in the budgets too. That even talk about church budgets, a whole different beast attack because there's a whole different mentality of how you approach a church budget um going to you know it is a strict thing and we do not change to you know the very first church i ever worked at when i was a bivocational pastor the treasurer would always explain to people that the budget is a livable breathable thing and that there has to be some flexibility within the budget because if we kind of keep if we are hard line on the budget on every single item we're going to always get in trouble. So we always have to kind of leave room for God to be able to work through our budget for his kingdom. And I thought that just saying that at the beginning of any business meeting kind of helps set the pace for anything we talked about, any numbers we show saying, hey, we we are seeing this happening. However, we also had a lot of this stuff happening. Giving's been going up this year and we've been seeing this trend of giving going up. That's great. However, we're in a deficit because we also had to pay to replace our heater or we had to pay to kind of reline our parking lot. It was a expense that we didn't expect to do, but yep, here we are. Um, we, we, we lost money because one of our outside groups that was paying rent decided to go somewhere else. So now we're no longer getting that money in anymore. So it's stuff like that where he was, uh, you know, very flexible. It was, and again, the key word, the big T word, transparent about everything mm. and really explained everything down to a T on what was happening and what was going on. It was very transparent about everything. So with that being said, um, yeah, that's fundraising. So again, I do apologize to those who are listening to this episode and thinking, oh, how can we raise funds for our, our ministry or for this ministry, for our church? Sorry, this was not that episode. Um, but maybe some of you, Maybe you're in a church where you do these fundraisers and you realize, hey, they're not explicitly saying what this is for. We're kind of doing this fundraiser, but we don't really know where the funds is going. And I think, at, if anything, it's very healthy just to say, hey, what is this? And to really buckle down and say, Ask or demand the treasurer or demand the pastor or somebody saying, hey, there's this fundraiser, but it's not saying what it's for. What is, where's the money to this fundraiser? What's it going for? What's it supporting? Well, and if really I say ask one, those questions. If I could say one last thing about yeah, it. Yeah, go like, right ahead. To, no, just to piggyback off what you're saying, like the, the one word that comes to mind is transparency. Mm -hmm. That's it. I think people really want transparency, especially like if you're giving to a church, if you're giving to a nonprofit, if you're giving to some sort of cause or fund people want to know where their money's going and i don't think it's that hard to to to, to be transparent with folks and say hey your money's I, going to to student ministry or to water heater or whatever it is but as long as you're transparent then go for it yeah and and even that like i think we live in a time today where you know before you could you could go participate in a fundraiser and you always do is going to go to something good you always do mm -hmm. is going to go to a children's ministry youth ministry but now I feel like in our culture where I feel like there's been so much things we've seen within not only within like nonprofit or religious organizations, but just within big business or in politics that people have not been being transparent with 
funds or anything else. I mean, there's that big thing that happened in Ohio just recently where um, householder and all that with the uh, funds and the lobbyists, like, Oh, oh yes. That, yes, that, that yes. big thing, like, we... that whole energy thing, like, yeah, that thing, like, Oh, so even just with that, like transparency is key. Um, yes. So again, be vigilant, be transparent. And, 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 those who are in leadership and pastors, listen to me. If you're doing a fundraiser to pay for a water heater and someone asks you, hey, what's this fundraiser going to? Don't give some like, oh, well, you know, it's here to support the ministries of the church. And part of that, the ministries of the church is making sure we have running water. Like, don't like kind of sugarcoat, like be just, hey. We had a water heater break. We paid for it. But because of that, we now have this deficit that we weren't expecting. So we're trying to do this fundraiser to kind of help close the gap. I don't think anybody would be like, oh, this is for a water heater. Ugh. Like if you explain it and, and again, transparent about everything, most people are going to be understanding and they're going to participate or give for your fundraiser because you are being transparent. So anyway, I'm Scott. Thank you so much for listening to the Scott Stedman podcast. Hopefully this has been fruitful and we'll be back on again with another episode. Take care.